This episode is brought to you by JLL. Get an insider view into the world of commercial real estate with JLL's podcast, Trends and Insights, the Future of Commercial Real Estate. Whether you're curious about making cities more sustainable, the evolution of office space, or AI opportunities, this podcast will help keep you a step ahead. Tune in for candid conversations with business leaders about the biggest trends impacting how we live, work, and play. Subscribe to Trends and Insights now at jll.com slash podcast. Pandemic living has made one thing crystal clear. You either love your home situation or you hate it. But upgrading or buying a home in Portland is harder than ever. It's no picnic in Bend or other parts of the state either. I'm Andrew Thien, and this is Beat Check with the Oregonian. Up next, reporter Janet Eastman talks about the state of the housing market in Portland and the rest of Oregon as we emerge from pandemic life. We talked about the various factors causing record low inventory, what she's heard from prospective buyers, why millennials are diving into the market at unseen levels, why more homes are likely to go for sale this fall, but buying a house won't be any cheaper. All that and more. Here's our conversation. Janet Eastman, thanks for coming on the show. I'm happy to be talking to you. So Janet, ever since I moved to Portland in 2006, I feel like we've been hearing about the red hot housing market almost every year since then. But what's driving the market this go around? You hear the word frenzy a lot, and it's actually apt at this time because not only do you have the historically rock bottom interest rates, which are motivating people to buy, you also have the largest generation, the millennials, looking to buy. You have sellers not wanting to sell because they're not sure they'll be able to find a replacement. And on top of that, you have the coronavirus, which if there was something you didn't like about your home, you used to be able to travel away from it or go to work and ignore it. Now it's it's right there. And everybody realizes that they need a little more space and to take advantage of the low interest rates, this would be the time to buy and to move. So everyone's having that idea at the same time, whether whether they're existing homeowners or you know renting and looking to buy. Um, and when you have that same idea at the same time, that's problematic, I guess. Right. And two other factors is you have digital workers who get to work at home and maybe will be able to. And so they need that home office. And on the other side, you have people, baby boomers like myself, who would typically sell their home and downsize, and they're, they're not wanting to move to a condo with a shared elevator and shared space right now, again, because of the coronavirus pandemic. But with more vaccines, a lot of the real estate experts believe that things will open up and people will start selling their homes and moving. There will even be more inventory on the horizon is what the prediction is. When they say that it's a record low inventory, like what does that mean? I guess we're talking in mid-June and by the time people hear this, it'll be late June. But like, are we talking dozens of homes or hundreds of homes on the market? I mean, what does that mean when we're talking about a record low inventory? So if it's, it's fair to sellers and buyers, if there's about six months, four to six months worth of homes on the market, which means if no new ones were added and the same pace continued, all of those would be sold in four to six months. Right now, and this has never happened before in record time, I mean, in, in any of the records, is that we're at three weeks of inventory. 
it's painful to buyers when there's three months of inventory. If you have three weeks, that means things sell faster. They sell for more if they're priced right. And sellers are in the driver's seats. And right now, they're getting a lot of offers beyond just over asking price, which is kind of interesting how people are trying to distinguish themselves as as a buyer. Yeah. Again, talk a little bit about that. Like, What can people do to try to stand out? It's almost like you're, <laughs> you're trying to woo people, um, it seems. But what are people doing to try to stand out amid a you know, a very crowded list of offers. It is very much like a match.com where you're trying to be chosen. Um, first of all, the the good advice I've heard from real estate agents is really decide what you need. If you need a three-bedroom home with a garage, don't panic and buy a one-bedroom condo because these are 30-year commitments. Uh, they're probably the most expensive investment anybody makes. And so really be wise about it and be patient. One realtor advises shoppers not to look on Friday when when homes hit the market. Wait till Thursday the next week and see what's still available because the really hot homes will get 25 offers by Monday. If seller doesn't get an offer by Thursday, they might be willing to listen to an offer which is just at asking price or maybe even below asking price, but they're no longer expecting to get 100000 over asking price, which is happens. And so that's really good advice. But some of the ways that buyers are trying to get to the top of the list of a seller is they have this thing called the eBay of home buying. So let's say I'm going to offer $600,000 for a home. I will say if offers come over that, I'm willing to meet those offers. They also will say they can close quickly. They're, of course, all pre-approved. Some of them have cash, which really expedites all of the the whole process because you don't need to deal with an appraisal and banks and things like that. People are putting down more than, you know, more than a, like an earnest check or a deposit. They're they're making that 2 to 3%. And they're saying once we've gone through an inspection and we're all good, the seller can de- take that five or $10,000 or whatever it is, and, and they get to keep it and they don't have to wait till escrow closes. Also, if it's minor repairs, the buyer is saying, don't worry about that. If it's a safety concern, of course, it has to be uh, taken care of. And they're also, buyers are saying to the sellers, if you need to live there for two months until you find your place, we will let you live there rent-free until you find uh, a place to go. So those are some of the things. And over the top would be some buyers are willing to donate to the seller's favorite charity in their name. Mm. Uh, Wow. (laughs) So it's, uh, yeah. And there's jokes that they'll, you know, they'll name their baby after them, you know, things like that. So there are some desperate shoppers out there that have Sometimes they've lost out on six to 10 bids and it's crushing each time you do that because you're set up ready to go. And it's almost, again, like match.com being rejected by somebody that you really want to be with. So Janet, you mentioned earlier, you know, it's not unusual depending on the house or where it is for people to bid a hundred thousand over asking. Um, I, I think that from a lot of locals, 
for years now, there's been a sense of, well, this is Californians are coming in and, and um, poaching these houses or coming in, you know, investment firms, straight cash offers. Is that what's happening or is it more complicated than that? So I don't know specifically about Portland and investors across the U.S. Investors are now represent about 17% of the buys. You know, during the really heated times like 2006, they were almost 25 to 30% of the buyers. I know that Californians or out-of-staters coming to Oregon last year, even though we were in pandemic time, it was pretty steady from previous years. Californians themselves represent about 30 to 40% of the out-of-staters who come and buy in Oregon. They might have cash because they, they've sold their homes and, and moved here. But of course, Oregon is always desirable to people on the West Coast. It's wonderful. Uh, <laughs> and it's less expensive than, of course, Seattle or San Francisco. So it is still considered a, a bargain to some people. But we don't have any data yet to say whether that has increased, the out-of-staters coming to buy in Oregon. So for the most part, majority are still Oregonians buying Oregon properties. I'm curious, Janet, you've been a reporter for a long time. Have you seen anything like this in, in, in terms of the situation that we're seeing in uh, the housing market? Yes, I've been writing about real estate and home design for my journalistic career. I worked 20 years for the Los Angeles Times and then moved to Oregon uh, mercifully to uh, have a better lifestyle. And I moved here about 16 years ago. So I was covering things in the really crazy buildup time of, you know, 2006. Mm -hmm. Oh, that's different is there were people buying to flip there were people paying a lot more for the interest rates. At that point, they thought they were a bargain because they were around 6% for interest rates. And right now, we're at 3% or less. I was even covering home design and real estate in 1981 when, hold on to your feet, <laughs> uh, interest rates were at over 16%. So you never, you never got ahead. The one thing I take from this is real estate is in cycles. They go up, it goes down. You can't really time it. But what makes it a hard decision is the emotions involved. This is your home. This is where you're going to live, relax. It's your sanctuary. And you want to buy something that you love, surrounded by neighbors mm -hmm. you like and things like that. So that is the factor that weighs on it more than buying stocks or something like that. Yeah. And, and as you mentioned earlier, just with the pandemic, maybe not everyone's working from home like, you know, we have been or, or other industries, but people are, are definitely more homebound and it changes how you feel about it. If it, I mean, it really puts, puts in perspective, uh, how important home is, I guess. And so a lot of people are feeling that pressure to, upgrade their situation if they want to and running into that wall of all the factors we already outlined. So it can be in a really emotional time. Right. And that's what happened pretty much the day that Oregon was shut down in March, a, a year ago, March. I was on a 
driving my car, doing my journalism, and I went to Lowe's and Home Depot, and there were people out there buying plants and buying things to improve their homes. So even a global pandemic will not stop people from wanting to improve their homes. And uh, all of the home improvement centers uh, really uh, took off, sales took off, people decided to invest in their home. If they're staying here, they might as well make it more comfortable. And they had time to actually notice and solve those problems that they've ignored. <laughs> yes. Uh, yes. And, uh, and then also expanding their space outdoors. So everybody decided if there was a patch of lawn that was underused, why don't we put up a table and a, an umbrella and we can uh, expand into that area since we're all staying home. Something else that happened in March, April 2020 is mm-hmm. a lot of these uh, expensive trophy homes that had been on the market in Oregon for a long time, you know, a year or more, which was not unusual at that time if you were asking, you know, $3 million or $2 million. Suddenly, the prices dropped on those because people did not know, are homes going to go up in price or are they going to drop in price? So a lot of people who were, you know, risk takers, in March and April, they cashed out on these low interest rates and they got into homes that were kind of aspirational homes and they seemed to have benefited very quickly. Homes on like the median price in the Portland area in the last 12 months compared to the previous 12 months, uh, they ju- they've jumped about 12% or on median uh, about $50,000. Yeah. So, so that's I, like half a million, right, Janet? Uh, <laughs> Something like that. The median price of a house in the last 12 months has risen $50,000. And so to buy a house in the Portland area is about $515,000 now on median and nationwide that's about 350. So the people who bought 12 months ago paid less and probably are pretty happy about things right now. So when you're talking to people who who are in this world, either whether they're home builders or real estate agents or, or what have you, I mean, what changes to make things, I guess, get quote unquote better uh, if, if you're from a buyer's perspective? I mean, when will things get better? What will make things better? Do they get better for people who are, who are looking to buy? Well, what I'm hearing from real estate professionals is they're anticipating that as more people are vaccinated and the economy opens up and people realize, do I go back to the office or do I get to work at home, that come fall, uh, there should be more people selling. And uh, that could be, you know, the people who want to downsize now, who held on for a year um, and or other factors. And I'd like to also say about some positive stories that I've been reporting on. Please do. Uh, yeah. So millennials who are now of age of thinking of maybe moving out of an urban dwelling uh, and into maybe a suburban home or something, they are actually benefiting from this time because of a few factors. Not only are they, with everybody else, able to take advantage of low interest rates, Mm -hmm. but uh, some of them who have student loans, which have burdened them for a long time, those student loan payments have been put on hold. And so if they've been saving that money, 
they're also their student loan interest rates have dropped to zero. So it's not like they're losing ground by not paying uh, their their interest or their school uh, loans. They've received stimulus checks, and if they've held on to those, some of them told me that they were temporarily unemployed and they made a little more being unemployed and they didn't have to pay tax on that. And even though they don't have a home to sell to use as a down payment, if they're in stocks, stocks have taken off. So there's a lot of these factors. They also say that one in five millennials get a little help from their family for a down payment. And the other factor about younger adults is they might be renting and have a roommate. And so when they buy, they bring the roommate with them to kind of help pay the mortgage. So it's uh, kind of a positive story for them if they're focused on saving for that down payment. Well, let's take a break and come back and talk a bit more with Janet Eastman, a reporter covering housing and homes for the Oregonian Oregon Life. So Janet, you live in uh, in Southern Oregon. I have friends in Southern Oregon and elsewhere in the state. I, I know that the uh, housing market we're talking about here in the metro area, it's not just Portland, right? These effects that we talked about, some of the same dynamics are playing out elsewhere, right? Correct. I, I live in Ashland, Oregon, and uh, it's very hard to find a home for $500,000 or less. And again, the inventory, the low inventory is a factor. And then in Bend, which is interesting because that was one place that people escaped to out of metro areas early on during the pandemic, thinking, well, we'll just hunker down in Bend where we'd have more uh, space to to roam. And uh, Bend was of particular interest because not only the natural beauty and the outdoor activities, but they have lots of restaurants and people relied on DoorDash a lot right at the beginning of the pandemic before they started cooking for themselves. So that was already a tight housing market. And uh, now it's really exploded. And I've spoken to a couple of agents there who say it's very routine to get, you know, lots of money over asking, lots of offers, and it's highly competitive there. So yes, throughout Oregon, uh, it's very competitive. There are still, of course, rural pockets where you can get a bargain. And I encourage everybody to find the place you, you love and that supports you in your lifestyle and that you can afford. Uh, It's no fun stressing over making a mortgage payment. No, no, definitely not. And I guess when we're talking about Bend, I mean, Bend is kind of a, it's been a boom town, you know, uh, through, through periods of economic growth in particular, are they seeing, you know, a building boom there Uh, or is it just kind of the, the market of, of people that we already talked about who are just looking for, existing homes in Bend? What my experts tell me in Bend is they're not building anymore. They felt very crushed when the the housing boom crashed in 2008, and they had been very aggressively building. But out, outside of Bend, there's uh, some building going on, and they're anticipating, you know, you've got these uh, tech centers opening up, and they're anticipating more housing being built. But it, it's very tight. They are and very expensive to live in that area right now. 
What about uh, your neck of the woods down in the Rogue Valley, uh, another place that, you know, listeners to the program know. And I mean, I'm, I'm from the Rogue Valley, so I keep tabs on things down there. But it seems like there's some more building happening that maybe hasn't happened for a little while down there. That's exactly right. And uh, another factor here is, you know, we lost 2,400 houses in September uh, due to wildfires. So uh, some of those people who lost their homes are still trying to find uh, permanent housing. So on top of everything else, we have that factor. But builders are interested in building, but then we have two other factors uh, hobbling them, and that is uh, labor. Uh, the cost of labor has gone up, and of course, uh, building materials. You know, some people estimate that lumber alone has gone up like 300% in the last year. So if you do buy new, you're going to be paying more uh, for it. So all of these uh, factors are pointing towards rising cost, and nobody's predicting that the, the prices will drop. There might be more inventory available, so less pressure on uh, buyers to jump into something quickly, but the prices are not expected to, to uh, decrease. And right now, I think the average home stays on the market about 22 days before receiving an offer that's accepted, and I write about homes that get 25 offers in one day. So those are the extreme ones. And I have to say, people in Portland love mid-century modern homes. Let's <laughs> go very quickly. With uh, funky, funky rooms and, and whatnot. I'd be remiss in not mentioning, you know, we've discussed this on the podcast as well previously, but I mean, the affordable housing crisis we're having in this state and in the nation, I mean, that is a whole swath of the population who are not in position to to buy. Um, and so like you mentioned, the Almeda fire down in Southern Oregon, we lost a lot of affordable housing in that fire too. So um, when we're talking about million dollar homes, there's no solace there for, for folks who are, who are hurting and, and trying to find a place. I agree. And communities did try to help, but city governments do not have many plans in order to facilitate affordable housing. And and Oregon has been behind in that for decades. And I just want to back up for one second. I'm yeah, sorry, yeah. Andrew, but when you said funky about mid-century modern, one thing that I do in my reporting is I never use adjectives because <laughs> somebody else would say, oh my gosh, that's Mad Men era. I love that sleek, spare, you know, uh, paneling on the walls. And, you know, I grew up in one of those houses. And what I know about people is, if they love their house, they love their house, and uh, it it supports who they are. It represents what they value. And so I walk into a home, and I think this is the perfect house for this person. And one thing I was going to say, I love talking to homeowners in Oregon, and not to bash my California friends. Hey, it's all right. It's a safe place here. It's okay. It's a safe place. It's good. Um at the uh, one point, I was writing about aspirational homes for the Los Angeles Times, and I would go into one home, and it was, you know, twenty million dollars on on with the ocean view, and I was interviewing people about putting pools in. So you're looking at the water, and yet you needed your private pool in your backyard, and one guy 
uh, paid for a 17th century Spanish galleon to be taken out of the ocean and put into his pool so he could brag about it. And I remember asking him, I said, well, so you swim? And he goes, no, I don't swim. You just get wet. <laughs> so they were just this, every day I was talking to people with incredible money that they could get their hands onto and pouring it into these trophy homes. And I found it very boring because then I'd walk out of that home into this cul-de-sac and just see lookalike homes with the same kind of uh, data-seeking, you know, motivation. And what I love about Oregon is the tiny houses, the energy efficient uh, new building that's going on. And I like the builders in uh, Portland Metro that are providing for accessory dwelling unit in a mm -hmm. brand new home where people can rent those to help with the mortgage or a family member could live there with little independence and outside door. So I love the inventive way that Oregonians live and how they're asking their builders to build for them. Well, it, it is kind of a part of the, the Oregon spirit, I guess, but also the, the urban growth boundary kind of necessitates that type of creativity in the metro area where we're not building out too much. You got to build up and, and maybe find a spot for your, for your auntie or your, your mom or your, your, your mother-in-law or what have you, uh, if you can swing it. Right. And that was another thing that happened during the pandemic is you think you've launched your kids. They're either college or business. Well, when businesses closed and colleges closed, the kids came back home. And a lot of people uh, went and took their parents out of nursing facilities or assisted living places and brought them home. So that was another pressure point to look for space either outside in your home or even a larger home. So multifamily living was of more of an interest to people. And that also happened right after the housing boom in 2008, where people consolidated again as a family. And that kind of launched this idea of maybe we could provide privacy and space for more than just one generation. Well, uh, we're, we're all in this together, I guess. And uh, as we emerge from the pandemic, like you said, it sounds like things are unlikely to cool down price-wise. There might be more inventory, but people are, are really going to be paying a, a premium to um, get into a house. Well, thank you so much for taking time to talk about all the housing dynamics, and uh, we really appreciate it. It was my pleasure. Thank you, Andrew. Thanks for listening to Beat Check with the Oregonian. I shared a link to some of Janet's recent stories about the housing market in the episode notes. If you like this show, leave us a five-star rating and review in Apple Podcasts. It really does help people find the program. Or tell a friend. Help spread the word. If you value our journalism, the best way to show it is with a subscription to Oregon Live. You can do that at OregonLive.com slash pod support. Until next time.